you guys learning Greek, because then you're going to have to like, know what I'm saying sometimes in my sermons. Uh, kids are welcome to be dismissed for Bible adventures and to, to head out to nursery as well, or they're welcome to stay with us. That, that is uh, fine as well. Again, I'd like to invite everyone to participate. We have our community groups. Uh, Lars is meeting today. Mine will be meeting in the afternoon today. We'd love to have you show up. If you have any questions for me, let me know, and you can come and, and check out. We have a really good time, share a meal together, and, and read God's Word and learn uh, from each other. It's just a really powerful time. It, honestly, for me, to sell it even a little bit further, it reminds me of what the New Testament church would have been like. It would have been people gathering together of different generations and, and reading about God's Word and, and processing that together. So uh, if you want to be like a New Testament Christian, come and join us. We'll have a a really, really good time uh, this afternoon, this evening. So let me know. We'd love to have you involved. So we're continuing our series called Change, thinking about what it means to be people who make positive changes in our lives. And my goal for us all, if you are participating in this church in 2020, is that you would say there's something that you were able to change in your life because you were part of this church that you thought about and, and really just recognized this is an area that I need some help. And you allowed yourself to really turn your life over to God. Because if we're honest, and I totally raised my hand and I agree with this myself, like even if you're at church every week, we don't necessarily consider what God can do in our lives. We don't necessarily think about, okay, God, I actually believe that you, you are powerful, that you can still do things in the world And that starts with me. So what is that for you that you would hope perhaps to say, you know, I'm really glad. That was hard to make that change, but I'm really glad. You know, looking back, I'm so thankful that I made that change, that I was able uh, to, to do that. And so to help us through this series, we've been looking at uh, Celebrate Recovery, uh, which is a fantastic organization, which we're considering starting here. If you're interested in that, talk with us about that. Um, but Celebrate Recovery helps us to think about the fact that all of us are addicted to something. It's not just like certain things or certain people that are addicted. We all are addicted in, in certain ways to certain things. And sometimes we need to say, enough is enough. I need to Step away from this. So this morning, I want to examine another principle in the main principles of Celebrate Recovery. We're going to split this into two sermons, but the beginning of this statement, I think, is is important for us to think about a bit. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself. So that is where we're starting today. We'll we'll go the the next next time, uh, get to the rest of that. But openly examine and confess my faults to myself. And to talk about this, I want to talk about something that I talked about in a sermon about six years ago, and so many of you weren't here at that point, and most of you don't remember my sermons for more than five minutes anyway, so I totally, totally understand that, but this is a concept that I think is so important when it comes to this, that if you have heard this idea before, just I hope that it's a reminder for you, and I hope that it's something that we all can think about and apply to our lives. I was doing some reading about change and what that looks like, and I came across an article talking about, like, when it comes to diet, the best thing you can do to make sure that your diet is a success is to log the food that you eat, whether that's in a journal that you carry around with you or if you have, there's so many apps that you can do this on, um, that if you want to have a successful diet, one of the best ways to ensure your success is to have some sort of way that you're writing down what you eat, because there's something that happens in your mind when you actually take a moment and write it down. And the next time you're hungry, then you're thinking, well, I will have to write this down. Like if, I, if, if I'm going to go for that snack, like how many calories is it? Like, is this something that I really want to put into my body? If you want like success and a diet in any sort of way, it just kind of makes sense, right? That you actually 
hold yourself somewhat accountable by writing it down in some way. And again, it could be writing it down in a journal or doing it uh, on your, your phone. But studies say that is like the best way because there's something happens when you cognitively are saying, I'm just not going to eat whenever I feel hungry and just put into my body whatever I want whenever I want. I'm actually going to make a note of this. And I think it's true in other areas as well, that it's hard for us to make changes, but if we'll actually keep a log at times and be honest about the role that we're all playing in this, it would make a difference. And it makes sense because change is hard. Whenever I think of this topic, I can't help but think of uh, Romans chapter 7 where uh, Paul says this, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good as it is. It no longer is I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That's an amen moment, right? It's like, thank you, Paul. And this is Paul, who is a spiritual superhero, who is responsible for a lot of the writings in the New Testament. And he says, just like we would, you know, I started a New Year's resolution and it lasted three days. That's what Paul is saying, basically. Like, I, I, I wanted to make this change. I thought about it and I, I, I wanted to do this and I started to do it. And what I didn't want to do, it just started happening again. So if you ever felt that way, you have company in the New Testament. Paul is very honest and says, this is what it is. This is the human condition that we want to like make these improvements or make these positive changes. And it's just hard for us to move on. And we all, I think, would want to be someone who our friends consider wise, right? That maybe someday you'd be in a position where people would, would come to you for wisdom, for advice, for counsel. We, I think, would want to be that person. And to get there, it's not just about living. It's about evaluating your experience. Sometimes saying, yeah, I was doing that for a while, and it's just not working. And so I started on a new path. I love how Proverbs says this, that as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to folly. One of the most vivid images, images in Scripture and we look at that and go, yeah, I've seen Fido do that. But we all do that. There's things that, like, we really, if we're honest, we know that it's vomit for us. Yet we go and we eat it up again. And it doesn't make any sense. And so what we need to do is just be honest and, and claim some of the stuff that we are a part of. Because it's just easier to blame everybody else. Like, if you think about something that you want to change in your life, what's the role that you are playing in that continuing to happen. And maybe in your situation, you're responsible. You are really, I can just tell, you guys are really good people. Better than the average crowd on Sunday morning. <laughs> you guys are really good people. And so let's say that your fault is like this, that 97% of what you own, go ahead, Simon, to the next slide for me. 97% of the problem is everybody else your outside factors, all the stuff that goes on around you, the way that you're treated, the unfairness of whatever situation. So yeah, 97% is everybody else. And you're a really good person, so you're only responsible for, that's a, that's a little sliver of this situation, right? But could you be honest about what that is? 
and then claim what that is so then you might be able to do better next time? Even though perhaps there's all this other stuff that's going on and there are some things that other people are doing in the situation that are, are, are causing you to respond in that way, even though other people are definitely involved, they're, they're not innocent, but neither are you. Would you be willing to claim your part? And there's one disclaimer that I, that I have to put in here as, as I think about this topic, is if there's a situation of of abuse that's going on in any form, that is never your fault, never um, a situation that you need to say, okay, I need to think about that. So if that's a situation that you are are dealing with, talk to me. I'd love to have conversation about that and connect you uh, to some people who could help you. But in situations that aren't like that, I think we need to ask the question at times, what's the part that I play? And claim it. So then we can move forward. How do you expect the future to be any better if you haven't evaluated the past? And actually said, all right, this is what I need to do. This is why I keep falling into this trap. This is why the situation continues to be a disaster. And we'll say things like, oh, that teacher is just really mean. Or that coach, he had it out for me. Nobody can work for her. And I'm not saying that in some of these situations, there aren't some 97% situations that we would say, yeah, there's some other factors at play. It is not all my fault. But can you claim what is? I remember I was in a ministry class, and it was with a group of people who were studying to be ministers, and then also some who were doing some different degree work, and so they were actually currently ministers, and there was just one guy who was a, a very large guy, and he commented in class one time, he said, oh, I think I'd be skinnier if I wasn't in ministry because um, the job of a minister involves eating with people a lot. You don't always get to choose what it is that, that you're eating, which is fair. A lot of my job is eating with people, so I, I think that he's right, and it's, it's easy to just say. I, I remember, remember him saying that, and I just thought, well, I guess I'm cursed to a life of obesity if I go down this road, um, and I, I remember thinking that in that moment. But as I think about that situation, I wouldn't have said it to him then. It would have been mean. But there are donut shop owners who are skinny, right? There's undercover cops who are working in drug rings who aren't addicted to drugs. You know, some donut shop owners are heavy. Some cops fall into something. But just to say, well, I'm in ministry, so I'm going to be fat, is like, it's just not, it's not working, right? It's like, you can't, you were the one who, who made those choices. You could have said no at times. You could have made a bit of a change to just say, well, I'm just in whatever situation that I'm in, and so this just causes me to be, you know, unhealthy in this way, is accepting something that I don't think you need to accept, what is it in your life that maybe you need to say, all right, like, yeah, this is, this is hard for me because of this stress or because of this, but I don't want to live anymore like that. I want to grow. I want to move on. And it's so much easier to just say that it's about everybody else. If you make it about everyone else, you can sleep so much more peacefully at night. It helps you just go, yeah, you know, the world's just out to get me. There's just big problems and what that really comes to is pride. And that's a word that really is a whole other sermon for another time. But I love how C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, he says, according to Christian teachers, this is throughout history, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. 
Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. And pride is a focus too much on oneself, an unwillingness to really deal with what is going on in our hearts. So if you have anger that is in your heart, you know, you, you snap at people, it is a product, C.S. Lewis and Christian teachers would say, of you being too prideful, of you being too focused on, on yourself. And that leads to anger, it leads to all this stuff. But he said at, at the very back of this is just this feeling that you kind of know better than everybody else. And that you are a little bit better than everybody else. And you don't really have to think about the ways that you continue to go in the wrong direction or the part of the story that you play. Because it's just a little bit easier. One of the things that's true, I think, of all, all of us is that in the moment, we think we're making the right decisions. Hopefully, you, you generally think that, that you're making pretty good, you know, wise decisions. In the moment, we think that. But just Think about yourselves a few years down the road. I remember when I was in high school, the high school English teacher had us write a letter to ourselves that she then mailed to us 10 years later. And I got that letter. And as, as a 25-year-old, I read this 15-year-old Brian's letter. And it happened to be that letter was written in like the only month that I had a girlfriend in high school. And I was, I was convinced that I was going to marry her. I, I, really, I wrote that in the letter to myself, like, I hope you and her name was Molly. Hope you and Molly are, are doing very well in your life. I don't really remember much, much about it, but I remember reading this and thinking, wow, like you, 15-year-old Brian, you have no idea. You're so naive. You have no idea about, about the real world. And now I'm 37, and I'd love to read a letter that 25-year-old Brian would have written, you know, 10 years ago, and think, oh, you just, you, you're so cute. You have no idea how, how the real world is. And then you think a few years down the line, it can just keep happening to yourself. But yet I feel like every time we're in the present moment, we're pretty arrogant about our own thoughts in that present moment. Like, we think we have the world figured out. And I'm not saying there aren't things that you have figured out about the world, but we all need to have the humility to say, I haven't figured out everything about the world. There are still things for, for me to grow and, and to understand. There are things that we need to experience and know, like, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not acting perfectly. There are things that I need to recognize in my own heart and in my life that are blind spots. Sometimes I need to claim that thing. This happens from the very beginning of Scripture. Adam and Eve are given one rule. And imagine a world that only had one rule. That's pretty awesome, right? If the world didn't have speeding tickets and all that stuff. Like, imagine if there was just, like, one rule. There's no need for an HR department. I mean, there's, like, so, like, you had, you had one rule. And unfortunately, as, as Paul mentions, the human condition comes up with Adam and Eve. The one thing that they know they're not supposed to do is just, it's just too tempting. And then... God comes. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it tells us the man and his wife heard the sound of God in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're hiding from God in God's garden, which is a game of hide and seek you're going to lose. But this is what happens. We don't necessarily do it like they did, but we, 
when sin and brokenness comes in, in us, comes up in us, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to share. It's hard for us to like actually do the things that we know would help in the situation. We go and we try to, to cover those things up at times. And then God in Genesis 3.9 says, where are you? Which really is an unbelievable act of grace. That God, first of all, is, is seeking them in their sin. For all of us, we need to recognize that there's brokenness that we all are, are part of, that we need to raise our hand and say, this is something that I'm, I'm struggling with, this is something that, that's difficult for me. And in our sin, God seeks us. And I know that your sin may, might feel especially weighty, but this is the fall of humanity. It's a little bit bigger, right? God seeks us in our brokenness, and it's actually a real gift, I would say, for God to allow them to come out of hiding and to say, come to me, reveal yourself. And there are consequences for their sin, but God allows them the opportunity to be revealed. And then what I think is really important and really hard and important for us to to consider and hear, Adam starts to explain himself. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The woman that you put here with me, basically everybody else, you all too, like, you made Eve and obviously she's not perfect. So you guys might need to go back in the lab and like figure that out. Like, I'm, I was perfect until she came, which is not true because Adam was longing for, for someone else. So this is the woman, Adam's just throwing everybody under the bus in this moment. Anyone possible, Adam doesn't say like, all right, full responsibility on me. Do whatever it is with me, but let, let her live. No, he doesn't do that at all. I was at, at Costco a few years ago and I, I, I love Costco samples, as I've mentioned before. And we were having cheesecake bites. Um, speaking of preaching and eating well, we were having cheesecake bites. And I waited in line for my turn. And I was at the front of the line. And another, like, 12 cheesecake bites comes off. And I grabbed mine. And there was a woman right next to me who also got her own cheesecake bite. But she said to me, oh, apparently chivalry is dead. And I'm like, come on. Like, they, like <laughs> you got your cheesecake bite, too. I, yes, I didn't let you go first. But, I mean... It's kind of everyone for themselves out there at Costco Samples. Like, if you want a cheesecake bite, you have to be willing to kind of claim your space in, in, that, in that realm. And you kind of want to say, like, yeah, chivalry's supposedly dead now, but when did it exist? Because from the beginning of humanity, Adam's like, nope, like, Eve, God, you two figure this out because I don't even want to be involved. I don't know how this whole mess got here, but you know what? You guys go, go sort this whole thing out. And then Eve does the same thing. What is this that you've done? She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So fingers are just being pointed all over to everybody. 
all over the place. Everyone is pointing fingers. And even as you start to read that statement from Adam, everyone starts to giggle. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's crazy. The, the woman that you put, hold on, Adam. Like, where were you when this was happening? Can we, can we talk about this? Can we figure out exactly what was going on? He suddenly sounds a little bit like a lawyer, right? <laughs> like trying to, I, I want to find a way to, to distance myself from this and, and figure this whole thing out. But what is truly terrifying to me about this scene, about what Adam says and then what Eve says, is it's actually true. Like, it's factual what they both say. Is it a horrible representation of the story? Yes. Is it helpful? No. But it is true. And it's a way for Adam to say, oh, you know, I'm just going to talk about all the problems that you all are having out there. And I'm not going to talk about the fact that, yeah, I ate too. I'm not going to talk about the role that I played. And Eve is just like, hey, yeah, evil. Let's talk about the existence of evil in the world, God. Like, why is a serpent in the garden? There's a whole lot of weird questions about that one. So what is truly terrifying to me about this exchange is both Adam and Eve tell a story that actually, like, fact is is true. And what is truly terrifying to me is that we can live our entire lives in that space where we can tell stories about things that have happened to us or situations that are going on in our lives that we can just say, yeah, the reason that I'm this way is just, or, you know, I, I have this problem, but it's because of, and I'm not saying it's not true. But ultimately, it's not helpful either. And it may be just a small part that, that you played in that situation, or maybe that, that you just didn't really have all the situation. It wasn't all under your control. But can you be honest about what you had control over and make a claim and move forward and say, I want to be better on that in the future? Because it's easy to just live in a space where we just talk about all these extra forces that are around us and, oh, I would have been, but, or this thing would have worked out, but, And I know for me, at times, just being honest with you, there's been times where I've done unchristian things for Christian purposes. Like I've set out because, you know, something has happened to me, and so I then respond with gossip and not responding in a healthy, helpful way. And so I'm just part of the two wrongs not making a right and things just getting wronger and not getting better. I love how Jesus very simply says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are you who who truly see yourself, how God sees you, sees these, these situations, these things that happen, and you don't say, well, it's all their fault, or it's all their issue. Yeah, 
that teacher and you didn't have a great relationship, perhaps. She is not going to be the one that you look back on in 40 years and say, oh, I'm so thankful I had her in chemistry. But did you really try your hardest? Or that coach, maybe he didn't necessarily see your amazing NFL potential. But did you really give him the benefit of the doubt at times? Or as you think about any relationship that you've had, can you admit the part that you probably need to work on next time? And the reason why this is, is so important, and I think that we would acknowledge that it seems like our country seems to be getting more and more divided across all sorts of issues. And that's not just like a certain, it's not like the Republicans' fault or the Democrats' fault or whatever it is or the people that watch this kind of news or whatever. It's not just that isn't the issue. The issue is we live in an increasingly siloed world where we can just tell our version of the story without interacting with anyone else's. And so we sit in positions where we know how we would supposedly fix everything or make everything better, and we don't necessarily think about the ugliness that is in our own hearts. This is a funny example of this. A few years ago, uh, a group of us were going to see a, a, a student in, in our church who was in a, a dance recital, and I had texted her about getting the information for that dance recital that day, and she sent me back a text that said, oh, here's the information, and just FYI, my back is hurting a little bit, so I don't think I'll be able to perform as well as I normally would. And I said, okay, I got it. that's fine. I went and we watched the dance show, and she looked great. I got to tell you, I'm not really a dance expert, so I had no idea what was going on for the most part, but her part looked, looked fantastic. She, she, looked, she looked great. We all hugged her at the end. It was, it was a good experience. And I thought, driving away from that, how if I would have been in high school when texting was around, I would have done the exact same thing. Because I've told you before, I didn't really play a lot of high school baseball. I watched a lot of high school baseball. But if someone would have texted me the day of my high school game and said, hey, Brian, looking forward to coming to see you today, I would have said, oh, yeah, I, that's, uh, I'm so glad you're going to be there. But my arm hurts a little today, so I'm probably not going to get into the game, which wouldn't have been exactly true. But I'm probably not going to get into the game. Or you know, the coach isn't too happy about me right now. And the person who would have been coming is like, oh, I don't, don't really care. But all right, thanks, Brian. Like, just thanks for letting me know. And the problem is we just do this all the time. We have our version of stories, and we build those more and more. And we talk only with people who agree with our opinions often and just get more and more solidified into our own opinion. Instead of thinking about what holes there might be in the way that we see the world or what problem there is that we were a part of, just like Adam, we can say, well, it was the woman who you put here with me. Or it was the serpent. I don't want to touch any of that problem. Because when sin enters the world, it isn't just brokenness with God. It isn't just the brokenness that exists within humanity. It then has a spider web that rolls into all of these kinds of things. And one of the things is just blaming everyone else. And you can spend your entire life blaming other people. But ultimately what that does is it just allows your own dysfunction to be smuggled into the future. And then your problem is carried over into the next relationship or the next job, whatever it is. 
So as you think about the change that you want to make in your life, can you consider what it is that is causing that problem? And why is it that you continue to fall into that trap? And I'm not saying other people aren't a little bit responsible at times. I'm not saying that others do have some weight to carry in these situations. But would you be willing to just say, here's the part that I play, and here is how I'm going to make it better. Because if you continue to allow this stuff to exist in your life, it not only messes with your past, it continues to go into the future. And I don't believe you can blame your way into a better future. And acknowledging what is actually going on and having the the purity in heart to really truly let God work on your life helps you to then think of a plan. And so your future will be better because you're like, all right, here's the plan that I have for improving that thing. Instead of just leaving it with this like vague, like, oh, I just want to do this and thinking of rainbows and unicorns dancing and how great it's going to be once you get to that other side. What does it look like for you to acknowledge your part, and to say, yep, I ate the fruit. Yep, that was me. Let's pray together. Father, may we recognize the ways that we participate in brokenness. It's easy to blame others. It's easy to point fingers In fact, at times, if we're honest, it's satisfying. May we have the ability to look into ourselves and truly make next time better. May we think about the times that we only dwell on our side of the story. May we challenge those narratives in ourselves so that we can truly grow. Help us to find ways to change, to move forward, and to heal. In your son, Jesus' name I pray, amen. This song, uh, Be Thou My Vision, is a, a song that is an old hymn, but I think it's a great one as we spend some time uh, reflecting on the parts that we play in the brokenness in our lives that we would ask God to be truly our vision as we consider these things, as we can allow God to really help us to see the way that we see things and see the way that we're participating. Let's stand and worship together.